Good morning, church family. My name is Andrew. If you don't know me, welcome to church. Welcome to those joining on online. Welcome to those who are new. I'd love to meet you and connect with you after the service or come forward and introduce yourself to any of, of our pastors. Um, it's great to be together. It's so fun to sing the, the songs of Christmas as we sing together. It's fun to see our church decorated with Christmas decorations. Can we get a round of applause for all of the volunteers who helped with that? Great job, guys. Heather Wright, Martin, our tech team, thanks so much just for the way that, that you helped with that. So I'm just going to adjust my mic here for a quick second. It's so good to be together. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, Adam shared an update with our church family just about how our Thanksgiving offering has been fully met. That's really exciting. We can celebrate together as a church family. He shared some exciting opportunities that we have to give to our church family. And so we're just excited about what God is doing here. Hey, let me ask you guys a question really quick. On a scale of one to 10, who, where one is the Grinch and 10 is Buddy the Elf, Who's like Buddy the Elf right now? Who's excited about Christmas? Is anybody really, really pumped? Nice. Who's like a one? Who's the Grinch? Anybody? Anybody honest? I see some hands out there. Okay, I see you. Who's like a five? Who's somewhere in between? Nice. Take just a quick minute and share where you're at, one to 10, with someone next to you. Are you a one? Are you a 10? Just the person sitting next to you. All right, guys, let's, let's jump back in. Sorry, I, I dropped our microphone. I hope it's okay. Good moment to, to stay humble. This one was sounding a little weird to me, so I grabbed this just for backup. Well, hey, I'm glad to be together. Today, we're gonna be in Acts 19, one through seven. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles now, you can. Normally, I like to have a bit of an introduction, kind of jump in with a story. This week's passage hit home for me just in a really direct way. It felt relevant to my life, relevant to where church is at. I was talking with Kyle, our new family ministry pastor, about this, and he said a phrase that connected. Just this passage feels really on the ground on the ground for me, on the ground for where our church is at. I really, I like that phrase. It's been fun to get to know him and collaborate with him. But in light of that, that this is kind of an on the ground passage, relevant to me, to I think where our church is at. If it's okay with you, I wanna just dive right in. I think this passage is especially connected to some of the things that Adam shared last week. The excitement that we have around this idea that God is doing something new at first free. And that's exciting. We want to be a part of that. We're praying and hoping to, to step into a movement of God where God just works in such an exciting way. And so in our passage today, I think this will help prepare our hearts to, to maybe be a part of that, of how God is working. We're going to see four characteristics of someone who is ready to be a part of a movement of God. Four characteristics of someone just ready and eager to step into what God is doing. So I'm praying that God uses this passage to prepare our hearts, be a part of how he's working. Let's do that now. Let's pray together and we'll dive in. God, thank you for this time of year. Thanks for how fun it is to be together and to celebrate for the light of Christmas, for the light of the cross, and that we can see both together. I pray that we would see that in our passage this morning. Would you speak through the Holy Spirit? Would you move in our hearts? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's dive in. Acts 19, verse one. 
pick up with, with where we left off last week. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a really important city with a church that figures prominently here in Acts and in the New Testament as a whole. The next two chapters of Acts are really focused on Ephesus. We have the letter to the Ephesians, which bears witness to a strong church there. And then in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus addresses specific churches, the first church that's mentioned is the one in Ephesus. So this is an important city with a really significant church, and Ephesus is an incredible Incredibly strategic city for the spread of the gospel. It's the largest city in the largest ro- province in the Roman Empire. It served as the capital of this province, the province of Asia. It was a port city, center of commerce. It was also a place of great spiritual influence as the Temple of Artemis was there. Kind of in the same way that St. Louis was a gateway city for the early explorers. Ephesus was a gateway city for the Apostle Paul to spread the gospel in the Roman Empire in the province of Asia. And so Paul spends a while here, probably about three years, from 52 AD to 55 AD. And given the normal pace of Acts, that's a really significant amount of time. Here in verse 1, we see that Paul traveled through the interior regions to get to Ephesus. And it's helpful to look at a map just to appreciate how long and how difficult this journey would have been. Ephesus is kind of here in the center, circled in green. And then here in the second map, we see kind of a, a version of what Paul's journey would have been to get here. Paul was actually in Ephesus very briefly in Acts 18. He travels back to Jerusalem. We're not sure why, but there was business that brought him back there up to Antioch, back through modern-day Turkey on his way to Ephesus. This is an incredible distance to cover. We don't know the the exact number of miles, but probably around 2,000 miles is a pretty safe estimate. That's about the distance between St. Louis and San Diego, and Paul traveled it by boat and by foot. From Antioch to Ephesus alone is 700 miles. That's 14 hours by a car on modern highways. This was really rugged terrain, mountainous terrain. It was an incredible, lengthy, difficult journey. It would have been really tiring physically, emotionally, even spiritually. We might be tempted to just kind of skip past this as as geography, but I think there's something for us to see here. Paul was an incredibly hard worker. He labored intensely for the gospel. For Paul, this meant difficult and dangerous travel. It must have worn him down at times, but he was spurred on by his mission to share God's grace with as many people as possible so he could be faithful to the Lord's call on his life. There's great value to hard work for the cause of the gospel. It calls to mind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Man, I think God calls us to give ourselves fully. When we labor diligently and obediently for the cause of Christ, we can trust his promise that it's never in vain. It's never in vain. God uses our work for him. I think this brings us to the first character quality of someone who's ready to be a part of the movement of God, endurance. Because of his hard work and his endurance, Paul could be a key part of the movement of God in a new place. Endurance is hard work over the long haul. 
It's diligence and focus and obedience multiplied by hours, days, weeks, and years. Paul had this kind of endurance and God uses it to reach Ephesus and beyond that, the the province of Asia with the good news of the gospel. Now for us, as we think about endurance in our own lives, God may not call you to travel hundreds or thousands of miles for the gospel, but man, he does call you to work hard. Each of us has difficult parts of what God has called us to do. Maybe in our family, God's called you to serve someone and it's difficult to love them well. Maybe in your realm of leadership or or ministry, there's kind of a challenging task that God has given you. You just need to keep laboring, keep showing endurance. Or maybe God's called you to witness and be a light for him in a secular workplace where everybody else is going in the wrong direction. Like Paul, God calls us to labor faithfully and diligently. So there's a question for us here. Is there an area of your life where God is calling you to show endurance? Is there a specific place where God wants you to show this character quality and just keep giving yourself fully for him? God will help you in that journey. He's gonna guide you and he's gonna lead you. Let me, uh, Adam, is there a bit of a delay on this or is it just my ears? Are you guys hearing it? Okay, Martin, I'm gonna switch over to this. Thanks, bro. I'm so thankful. Is that better? I'm so thankful for our tech team and backups and working really closely with them. They just do an amazing job. So I'm really thankful. This is a little less distracting for me. And I just, I I want to be able to share this and be fully present and not thinking about the sound. So thanks. I appreciate it, you guys. Let me take this off. Otherwise, it's going to feel really weird the entire message. Talk amongst yourselves for one minute, okay? (laughs) Be right back after this message. (laughs) All right, did you have a good conversation? Was anyone's life just changed? Did you need that moment? This sounds a little better. I'll, I'll really speak out, Martin, so that it's loud for everyone. So is there an area of your life where God is calling you to, to show endurance? God will guide you, he'll lead you in that. One of the ways that Paul shows endurance in this passage here is that um, back in Acts 16, six, several years prior to this, God kind of closed the door for Paul to go to Asia to minister there where Ephesus is located. It says in Acts 16, six, and Adam spoke about this a, a few months back. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia where Ephesus is located. Isn't that interesting? The text doesn't say why, but for the time being, This was a closed door. And then if you remember from last week, Paul's briefly in Ephesus, but then he goes back to Jerusalem. And here again, we're not 100% sure why, but in Acts 18, 19 through 21, just to review from last week, it says they stopped first at the port of Ephesus. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. As he left, however, he said, I will come back later, God willing. So for some reason, Paul needs to head back to Jerusalem, but I love his attitude. God willing, I'll I'll come back and and I'll serve you. Paul definitely would have wanted to spend time here given how strategic a place it was for the gospel. So here's what stands out to me. God closes the door in Acts 16. He leads Paul to pursue other priorities in Acts 18. But then here in Acts 19, God opens the door up for an amazing and an important, significant season of ministry. And it just strikes me that we don't always know why God leads us in the way that he does. 
Sometimes from our perspective, it can seem really confusing. I've felt that at times in my own life, I know. But we can be so confident in his plan for where he's leading us, for when he opens a door for us to go there, and for why he calls us to a specific place at a specific time. And I've, I've seen that in, in ministry before where I've kind of longed for something and said, God, can, can you open the door for this? And at, at the time, God says, no. And then later he opens the door and I just think, wow, God, I'm so thankful for your timing. Or I've seen that in my own family at times as uh, Amber and I journeyed through, you know, wanting to have kids and at time it being a, a difficult journey and saying, God, this timing doesn't make sense to us. What are you doing? And then years later, God opens the door and it's like, wow, I, I see the wisdom of God's timing. And sometimes we get to see that in life. And I think there are other times where we don't necessarily. Sometimes we have to trust God sort of in the midst of the darkness and keep showing endurance by trusting his faithfulness when we can't see why all the puzzle pieces are coming together in that way. Man, Paul had endurance by trusting God for his timing. And God had the perfect timing for Paul to come and to minister here in Ephesus. And we're going to see that. So, so endurance, this endurance in working hard for the gospel, this endurance in trusting God's timing. If, you're, if it's tough right now to trust God's timing, keep, keep going. Don't give up. He's, he's got a good plan for you. Well, let's continue and see how God works by um, bringing Paul providentially to this, this group of believers who need to hear more about Jesus Acts 19.1, he traveled through the interior regions. He reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, he asked them? No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. This part of the passage is really inter interesting. As Paul enters the city, he finds a small group of believers. Now they haven't receive the Holy Spirit yet. So there probably aren't Christian believers in the way that you and I would normally use that term, but they do believe in God. They are seeking him. That's clear from the text. And they've been influenced by the message of John the Baptist, either directly, maybe as his disciples, or maybe indirectly by hearing about it. Given how close this is to what we read last week about Apollos, it's possible that they were influenced by him. He was an influential teacher in and around this area who at first also only knew about the Holy Spirit. We don't have kind of all the information that we would like about this group of believers to know their full background. The text is kind of short and sparse on details here. But one scholar says of this group, they were, so to speak, living in a salvation historical time warp. I think that's a great phrase, a salvation historical time warp. Even though it's 52 AD and the crucifixion and resurrection and, and Pentecost have already happened, it's like these believers are, leaving, are living rather before any of that happened. And we can't necessarily blame them for that because it seems like maybe they didn't have all, all of the information. They didn't know the full story, maybe just because of where they lived or, or who they had been influenced by. The message at this point was, was still spreading. In many ways, they're similar to Old Testament believers who looked forward in faith to something that hadn't yet been fully revealed. Paul, I think, must have sensed that something wasn't full or complete in their theology, so he asked a few questions to collect more information about their spiritual status. And I think it's significant that Paul begins by asking questions because their answers give Paul some really valuable information that help them to minister to them. And this isn't necessarily one of the main takeaways of the message, but I think that's a really wise approach. 
just to start as we interact with people by asking questions. Sometimes when God leads us to minister to someone, we wanna jump right in and, and share the truth. And there could be a time and a place for that approach, but it's often wise to ask a few perceptive and observant questions and then just to listen and then to see how God opens the door so that we can share what's, what's really helpful and, and what's actually needed. Maybe this holiday season, there'll be a chance for you to ask a question of someone who's hurting or, or lonely and just to listen and maybe to share God's truth. Well, the next sentence in this passage is really significant because Paul is gonna start to fill in the gaps in their theology. He wants to share the, the full beauty of the gospel, but before he does that, he actually starts just kind of by acknowledging where they've been. And so in Acts 19.4, it says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. This word repentance is really important in this passage. It really stood out to me. And it's the second characteristic we see of someone who's ready to enter the movement of God. The first was endurance. The second is repentance. But we have a humble and repentant heart when we're turning from our sin. Man, that just creates a context where the Holy Spirit can work, where God can, can start to move in our lives powerfully. And this concept of repentance it really did stand out to me powerfully as I studied this passage. I was stunned, just amazed at how many times this passage, or this concept rather, comes up in the New Testament and in really significant passages of the New Testament. In Matthew 3.11, this kind of summarized the teaching of John the Baptist. He said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. So John's kind of self-summary of his message involved repentance. And then Jesus comes just exploding onto the seed with his gospel message. And he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news in Mark 1.15. So the starting point of Jesus' message, repentance is there. It shows up time and time again in the ministry of Jesus. In Luke 5.32, he said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And then this is what really stood out to me. After the cross, repentance doesn't fade into the background or, or go away, not at all. In fact, Jesus highlights it after his resurrection to his disciples. In Luke 24, 47, he's kind of summarizing the, the Old Testament. And he says, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. And then here's the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Repentance is a really key part of the summary of Paul's teaching, how Paul himself summed it all up in Acts 20, 21, last verse on, on repentance here. Paul says, I've had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God, having faith in our Lord Jesus. And there we see the full gospel, repentance and faith. But this concept of repentance, it shows up time and time again. Romans, 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, Revelation. We don't have time to look at all the verses, but it's all over the New Testament and key, key passages because it's a huge part of God's heart for us. We've seen how often it shows up, but what does repentance really mean? Well, I think for a lot of us, maybe the first thing we think of when we hear the word repentance is being sorry for our sin, and that's an okay place to start. It's good, especially at times, to feel sorrowful for our sin. Maybe others of us think of the guy on the street corner holding up the poster that says, repent. Has anyone ever seen those, those pictures or that guy on the street corner with a megaphone? That's probably not a super helpful starting point when we think about repentance. 
the, the biblical meaning of it is so, it's so rich, it's, it's so deep. And um, so I want to talk for a few minutes about what this concept really means. Repentance means to change direction, to turn from sin and turn to God. And, and that is a really good starting point. But it's, it's more than just a one-time decision. Repentance really affects every part of who we are, our head, our heart, and our hands. It changes how we think about what is right and wrong. It changes how we feel, uh, especially about our, our sin and the wrong choices that we have made. It affects our emotions. And it changes what we do, kind of this on-the-ground reality of, of how we live. Repentance is an important action step on our part. In most of the verses in the New Testament, it's a command. We need to repent. We should repent. We must repent. There's this urgency to it, kind of repent with an exclamation point. But repentance is also a gift from God. It's something that we do and something that he is working in our hearts. And so in Ezekiel, even in the Old Testament, we see this. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, this Old Testament covenant promise of God to his people. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. The word repentance is not, or repent is not in that passage, but that's repentance right there. It's, it's God at work changing our hearts. And in light of this, it's not a one-time thing. Sometimes we can think of it kind of as a one and done decision that we make. There's an initial step of repentance when we follow Jesus, yes, but it's time and time again. It's a journey where we go deeper and deeper. Martin Luther, uh, in the very first of his famous 95 theses, which helped launch the movement of God and the Reformation, he said this, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. Isn't that interesting? The whole life. Martin Luther, the, the 95 theses, that's where he begins. More modern day theologian, Anthony Hokema, wrote an amazing book. It's either called Salvation by Grace or Saved by Grace. If you'd like to read it, I'd love to point you along to it. Come see me after the service. But he put it like this. He said, there's indeed a turning from sin to God that begins a person's Christian pilgrimage. But there's also one that characterizes the entire journey. We should not, therefore, simply think of repentance as a single step in the process of salvation, but at least in one sense, we must think of repentance as an aspect of the entire process. Don't miss this. The Christian life in its totality is a life of repentance. Isn't that an interesting thought? I wanted to emphasize this because I think it's something that, that we can often miss. And if we miss it, we really miss God's heart for us. Have you seen the wreckage after a really terrible car crash. Maybe you've seen the, the metal frame being hauled away on a flatbed trailer or a tow truck, and it's kind of a jarring and terrible thing to look at, and this you know, once beautiful vehicle that's now rusted or, or burnt or twisted or, or destroyed and, and just broken beyond repair. And it's hard to wrap our minds around this reality because our, our culture and entertainment are constantly telling us that we're basically good and that we're capable of fixing ourselves. That just, that message besieges us time and time again on streaming platforms and just everything that we see. But going back to that, the, the wreckage of the car crash, the Bible teaches us that that's what's happened in our hearts. 
There's been this terrible self-inflicted collision. We rebelled against our creator and we slammed head on into the consequences of sin and shame. I know I've felt that in my own life and I'm sure some of you have too. And when we look at what the Bible says, it's it's that our hearts are broken and even twisted beyond self-repair. And repentance is God at work graciously untwisting broken human hearts. It's restoration, it's beautiful, it's life-giving, it's God at work untwisting our broken hearts. And I, I remember a time that and I saw this kind of up close and personal back before I was working here at a church. Well, they've been an intern during some of it, but um, I was part of a, a men's kind of counseling group that was working through areas of, of brokenness and struggle in our own lives. I felt like God was, was leading me towards some repentance and I needed some help in that healing journey. So I joined this amazing group of men. There were some in their 20s, some of their 30s, some of their 50s and their 60s. And it was incredible to get to know these guys and their stories. And one of the stories really stood out to me. There's, there's this older guy, uh, wealthy, drove a great car, by all appearances, it looked like his life was, was really all put together, but deep inside, he was struggling with sin. And I remember at the beginning of the group, he didn't feel like there was a lot of hope for change or for transformation in his life. And then as the, the time went on and he was in community and confession and really true, good biblical accountability and also a commitment that he made every day to, to really spend time with the Lord we just saw his heart change. And at the beginning of our group time, we would often just check in and share how we were doing in our areas of struggle and, and with um, how we were doing with the Lord. And I remember he just started to cry. And it wasn't tears of shame. It was these joyful tears of honestly meeting with God. He said, in my time with God, I just almost daily, I moved to tears because I can't even believe that God would want to hang out with me. A, a broken, messed up sinner like me. I just thought, wow, that's repentance. Like that's an incredible transformation. And it was kind of happening in all of us at the same time. I think repentance sometimes happens best in community when we're with other believers. So in and through repentance, God is remaking our hearts. He's recreating us into the men and the women that, that we were designed to be. We just pray that that would be true, true for all of us. So repentance, to kind of sum this up, it's deeply woven into the fabric of the gospel. It's not the entire gospel, but it is an important part of it. The New Testament describes the full gospel as repentance and faith together. Repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Brad Wass, when he was here, called out the two-step of the gospel. That's such a, a, a memorable kind of analogy. Repentance and faith, we keep trusting in Jesus. We turn from sin. We trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's where Paul takes these believers here in this passage. Let's continue and see what happens next. We've seen endurance. We've seen repentance. In Acts 19.4, Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, right away, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow, this small group of believers, they were ready to receive the full gospel message. And this shouldn't really be a surprise given that they were influenced by John the Baptist. His message was so powerful because he, he pointed people beyond himself to, to Jesus who was to come. John himself in Matthew 3.11 said, someone is coming who is greater than I am. So much greater, I'm not worthy even to be a slave or carry his sandals. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Man, that's an amazing humility on John's part. He had this huge following. He could have kind of garnered that for his own self-interest. And instead he says, this is all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about me. One of the things that just really stands out to me about these disciples is they're quick to respond to Jesus. And that, that's a third characteristic that we see of someone ready to enter the movement of God, responsiveness, responsiveness. Think about your life. Are you quick to respond to Jesus? When something becomes clear from his word, are you fast to obey? When you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit, do you follow? When Jesus says, follow me in a way that's really practical, kind of on the ground, tangible, you say, yes, I'm there, Lord, I'll follow you. I remember seeing the importance of this um, back when I, I used to coach basketball, love coaching basketball, love the sport. And one of the most talented guys I ever had a chance to coach was 6'6", so he's two inches taller than me. And he actually played point guard, get that. He's kind of like Larry Bird, LeBron James, kind of a guy, good passer, really good ball handler, great shooter. He could basically score at will. When he was really playing well, he could bring the ball down and just go score. But there was one problem, and it was a major one. He was not responsive to our coaching. We as coaches would tell him to execute a play. He would go down and launch a three-pointer. We're like, what are you doing? We'd call a pick and roll. He would he just, he, he never did what we told him to as coaches. Does anyone know someone? Maybe your kids. Does anyone feel that in parenting at all? I'm like, I told you to do this. And he did this. <laughs> What's going on? Um, there were these other two guys on the team. Not that great of basketball players, good basketball players, not nearly as talented as this guy, not great shooters, average height, not even a, as much experience playing the game. But man, they were responsive. We told them to do something, they would execute it right away. Well, halfway through the season, something really interesting happened. Our star 6'6 point guard got hurt and he was out for the rest of the season. And up until that point, we had lost a lot of games and it was just no fun. We weren't having fun as a team. We thought, oh man, this has already been bad. Maybe this is gonna get worse. But you know what happened? The opposite. These two guys who were responsive kind of stepped up and took his place. Team chemistry improved. We actually started winning some games and we got to make kind of a, a deep run in some uh, tournaments and, and in the final playoffs. And it was a lot of fun and the difference so these guys were coachable. They were responsive to, to what we told them to do. And I think that's true in sports. I think it is so true in our spiritual lives that we need to be fast to respond to God's coaching through, through the Holy Spirit. So again, think about your own life. When God, when God says go, are you ready to go? When God says, and sometimes this one's really important, when God says stop, do you stop? Are you responsive? Let's look at the result of the response to Jesus. In the final part of this passage, the Holy Spirit moves in a really powerful way. We've seen this all throughout Acts. It happens here again as the Holy Spirit is just breaking into this new city with a new movement of God. It says, then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in other tongues and, and prophesied. There's some details of this verse that, that you know, probably aren't the most important thing for us to focus on today. He lays his hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They speak in, in tongues and, and they prophesy. Some people have wondered, well, does this mean that we should do this today? You know, kind of follow this, is this example normative of what believers should experience? And not necessarily. 
Many times in our study of Acts, we've noted the difference between what's descriptive, part of scripture that describes what happened in a specific instance, and what's prescriptive, kind of a, a pattern that clear, scripture clearly tells us to follow. And we've talked about that a lot in Acts. I was talking with Adam about this this week. We'll have a chance a little later next year to really dive into spiritual gifts in a series that we're really excited about. So in some ways, I'm somewhat happy to pass the complexity of these questions to Adam for, for a future date, so you can thank me later, Adam. Um, I do want to clarify, though, when we look at what the New Testament teaches on these concepts, we, we don't need to have kind of a a second special spiritual experience to receive the Holy Spirit, the the teaching of the New Testament is really clear. All who have put their faith in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit when they believe. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians 3.2. Paul says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Holy Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So it's because we believe. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Man, I think this gives us great assurance. We have the Holy Spirit in us to guide and protect and help and teach, to empower us, to give us that endurance when we're tired, to help us respond quickly to, to the gospel, to help us repent. I do think there's something significant Um, stood out to me just that Paul lays his hands on these believers, not as a formula for us to follow, but just that in a really special way, Paul was present to them and and with them. Can you imagine being one of these believers and having the apostle Paul lay his hand on you? What an incredible experience that must have been. And even for Paul, when he was blinded in his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, there were several days where Paul was kind of literally and metaphorically, physically in the dark. And then Ananias comes and lays his hands on, on Paul and the scales fall from Paul's eyes. And so I think it's, it's maybe special for Paul here. Maybe possibly he, what he received from Ananias, he was able to give to these disciples. Again, not as a formula, not as something to prescribe for us, but he was just present. He was with them in a really physical, special way. And I think that's the fourth and final characteristic that we see is just presence, just being available, being present, not only intellectually, man, we're, we're so intellectual in our faith sometimes, and that could definitely be good. That could, that could be a great thing to go deep in theology. But sometimes there's just a ministry of presence, of just being with people. And especially as we step into the holiday season, maybe there's an opportunity for you, like I said earlier, to ask a question and to give someone the gift of listening, to be present with them. Maybe you could just someone shares a prayer request, you just lay your hand on them and pray for them. Put your arm around them. Be, be with them. Let them feel the, the comfort and the love of God. Or, or maybe even just to lay your hands on your children and, and pray for them. Not that that makes the prayer more significant or more powerful in any way, but it's a special way to let your kids know, hey, I love you. I care for you, buddy. Let me, let me lay my hand on you and just pray for you to help you kind of focus. That can be a special thing that, that we can do for our kids. I'll never forget um, one year at junior high camp, Giles Davis, some of you will know that name, one of our missionaries in Spain. I was feeling really weak and really tired and I needed to lead worship on this particular night. I told Giles, Giles, I'm just really tired. I'm worn out from camp and he just looked right at me. He put both of his hands on me. It was kind of intimidating. I was like, whoa, what is happening right now? And, And then he just prayed for me and there was no special power or anything like that, but it was a significant and memorable moment. And I, there was something about the physical presence of Giles where I just felt it was a reminder, God is with you. 
God's going to help you. And I felt strengthened. So maybe there's an opportunity for you to give the gift of your presence to someone. When I think about the people in my life who had made the biggest impact on, on me and have most contributed to the movement of God in my life, it's the people who have just been present in my life, my mom and my dad, to have conversations, my basketball coach who faithfully led devotionals after practice, my worship leader who led worship Wednesday nights and Sunday night. He was present even when he was tired. My college ministry leader who gave up every single one of his Friday nights so that he could invest in a group of college students. They were present. How's God calling you to be present for others today? Well, I love the way this passage ends. It's just a really short verse. In Acts 19.7, it says, there were about 12 men in all. It's possible that this is just kind of a, a footnote, a small detail, but the number 12 is biblically significant. There were 12 tribes in Israel. Excuse me. There were 12 apostles that Jesus had in his kind of discipleship movement. And so I'm wondering if these 12 men, empowered by the Holy Spirit, became leaders in this young Ephesian church. Later on in Acts 20, Paul has a really tearful farewell with the Ephesian elders. And I wonder, this is just kind of speculation, but I wonder if maybe some of these men were there, if maybe they became key leaders in this movement. I think it's possible, given this closing verse. It's kind of fun to, to wonder about. But let me sum up where we've been. Endurance, repentance, responsiveness, and presence. Four, four characteristics of, of someone who's ready to enter the movement of God. I think all of us fall short of these. I, I know that I do many times. And I think we should never lose the wonder of our vantage point of the gospel. Because the gospel is what helps us with, with each of these and, and what pulls us back into living each of these out. Think again about the small group of disciples. How amazing, how incredible it must have been for, for them to hear the gospel for the first time. They believed in God. They had a repentant heart. They were eager and ready, but they did not know the specifics of how God forgave. So how incredible it must have been to hear about Jesus his life, his death, his resurrection, and his once and for all perfect sacrifice to take away sin. How their hearts must have rejoiced to know the, the full picture of the gospel message. I was struck by the symbolism of just the stage, and I don't think this was on purpose, but the light of Christmas and the light of the cross. Seeing both of those together and the, the lyrics that we sang, the story of amazing love. I wonder if for these men, it was like hiking to the top of a mountain to watch the sunrise. Has anyone ever done that here? I have not. I'm just curious. Anyone ever seen a sunrise hike top of a mountain, like 4 a.m.? I'm seeing some hands. You guys are, are morning people. I aspire to be like you. Maybe, you know, I'm a morning person. I'm just not that early of a morning person. Maybe one day I will get there. I, have, I would imagine that when you're at the top of the summit and it's dark, you look out and the landscape is kind of shrouded by darkness. You can make out parts of it, but not all of it. You can't really see the full beauty. And then what happens? The sun comes up and, and you see everything and you're amazed. You see the glory of, of, of the scenery, the mountains and, and everything and the light of the sun. It becomes beautiful and full as the picture becomes complete. And I think that's what happened for these men. In the light of Jesus, they see the fullness of the gospel. How amazing it must have been for them. I think that's the vantage point that, that we have that maybe sometimes we can take for granted through God's word and through passages like this. We see the whole story, the story of his amazing love. We see Jesus and his death and his resurrection, his perfect sacrifice. We get to see 
all of it. So may we return to that time and time again. May our hearts just be be stunned and amazed at his incredible, incredible love for us. I think in particular, when I think about the four characteristics that we've looked at today, there's one that kind of stands out for me. I'm wondering maybe if there's one that that stands out for you that the Holy Spirit is kind of leading you to to lead into and respond. But the one that I felt God lay in my heart just for our church family is repentance. Just this idea of coming humbly before God, not being casual about that gospel message and just constantly having an attitude of, of turning to him again and again. I think in our kind of Western suburban context where we're constantly rushing and, and hustling and doing all this stuff, we could probably miss this one. I felt like Romans 2.4 was a really significant verse for us, maybe that God just wanted to share with our church family. It says, don't you see? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? What what if God was just saying that to us of just, hey guys, hey first free, don't forget about my gospel message. Don't forget about the amazing vantage point that you see. You know, imagine if you hiked up to the top of a summit to see the sunrise, the sun starts to come up and then you just shrug your shoulders and you walk back down the mountain. Oh, I think sometimes that, that can happen in our hearts. His kindness It's intended to turn us from our sin. And so just for any of you here who are feeling kind of this Holy Spirit pull towards repentance, I just encourage you to respond to that. Respond with everything that you are. And don't forget about his kindness. Don't let the message of shame rush in and and steal you from the joy of that vantage point of the gospel. In Revelation 3.19, it says, be diligent, turn from your indifference. So yes, we need to act. 100%. We need to respond. We need to give as much energy to responding to this gospel message as we do our work, our school, our sports. We need to 100% give all that we are. But man, when when we turn, and even when we don't turn perfectly, because God's love for us isn't dependent on the perfection of our repentance, when we turn towards him in in a broken way, God's there. He's there with open arms to meet us. Amen. Amen. He's there. He's there for you this morning. So we're going to sing. We're going to do one more song together. And I'm glad that we are because I think music gives our, chan- gives our hearts a chance to experience some of these realities. As we sing, let's give God our hearts. The worship team is going to come. Let's pray together. God, thanks for that vantage point that we have of the gospel. This holiday season and even into next year, may that just be so true in our hearts. May it be the light that shines upon everything in our lives. May you work in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit to take us deeper into trusting you, God. If there's specific work that that someone needs to do in enduring and trusting and repenting and responding, God, would they be quick to do that this morning? Maybe to grab a brother or sister that's sitting next to them or their section host or someone on the prayer team, God, and just come forward and to pray to share, to, to be, be with you, God, because to be with you is, is where we want to be. We, we want you to work. We want you to move in our church. We're excited, God, for, for your movement here. Whatever that would look like, may we be a part of it. May we enter in and may your Holy Spirit empower all of it to your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said?
Amen.